Chapter One, Part One of the Brown Book of the Hitler Terror. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Pamela Herskovitz Nagami. Brown Book of the Hitler Terror by Lord Marley. Chapter One The Path to Power, Part One the german labour party was founded in munich in january nineteen nineteen in july of that year adolf hitler at that time education officer in the reichswehr joined this party he was the seventh member of what later developed into the national socialist german labour party who were the founders and first members of this party from what sections of the population did they come and what interests did they represent in the first place they consisted of soldiers and officers who had come back from the war completely disillusioned for four years they had honestly believed in the chauvinistic slogans with which they had been fed they had staked their lives in the struggle for a greater germany they believed in the legend that pacifist and social democratic traitors had stabbed the german army in the back and brought about its defeat these men who came back were deeply embittered by what they thought was the weakness of the ruling class the treachery and flight of the kaiser and of the deposed princes and the failure of the generals of the great war to strike down the november criminals these deeply disillusioned soldiers and officers could no longer find a place for themselves in civil life to a great extent the professions which they had once practised now no longer existed this was true particularly of the professional soldiers military cadets and a number of categories of officials they were joined by members of the uprooted nobility students who had been torn from their studies by the war and declassed and radicalised members of the middle classes who now began to feel the ground giving way under their feet all of these elements who at that time also flocked into the many other military bodies which arose at that time the einwohnerwehr the stahlhelm and the erhardt brigade formed the first basis of the young national socialist german labour association as the party first called itself officially for two years after its formation the national socialists were quite an insignificant group the november revolution of nineteen eighteen had been beaten down and the capitalist system had got a new lease of life the social democrat friedrich ebert became the first president of the weimar republic the old forces of finance capitalism consolidated their rule again the trade union leaders had concluded an agreement with the employers based on negotiations in november nineteen eighteen between Ugo Stinnes and the president of the General Committee of the Trade Unions, the Social Democrat Karl Legine. What at that time could Hitler do for the leading groups of German capitalists? At that period they were not yet in need of the National Socialists. Hitler's association therefore remained without any significance. He himself continued in the service of the Reichswehr until April 1920, giving political lectures to the soldiers on instructions from the reichswehr he also observed 
political organizations and meetings, bringing in reports and information. This was how Hitler first came into contact with the German Labour Party. Not long afterwards, the political importance of the party began to grow. The political situation in Germany began to change rapidly under the effect of the dictated peace of Versailles and the losses of the war. Milliards of marks were demanded in reparations and had to be paid. Important industrial areas were lopped off. Alsace-Lorraine, Upper Silesia, the Tsar territory, Posen and West Prussia, the so-called Polish corridor, Danzig and Eugen-Malmedy. The German market was still further restricted by the loss of a considerable portion of its European and overseas connections, in addition to the German colonies. The cost of demobilization and of putting the war industries onto a peace basis was a terrific burden on the smaller taxpayers, as the dominant circles of German monopoly capital were continuously devising new methods of transferring the reparations payments and all other losses onto the shoulders of the workers and the middle class. This development reached its highest point in the inflation which had begun during the war, but was only widely felt among the population in the course of 1921 and 1922. In the autumn of 1923 it reached the point of catastrophe. It had brought about still further impoverishment of the workers, and had transformed a considerable section of the middle classes into proletarians. Millions of the poorer sections of the middle class were literally robbed of everything they had by the inflation. The state paid the banks and heavy industry concerns 600 million gold marks as compensation for the occupation of the Ruhr by the French, and these concerns also made enormous profits. The economic chaos produced far-reaching political disturbances. Erzberger and Rathenau fell victims to the bullets of nationalist murderers. Among the working class, a process of radicalization was taking place. The Spartacus struggles in Berlin in January 1919 were followed by the rising of the workers in the Ruhr during the Kottputsch of March 1920, and the workers' revolt in March 1921. The workers began to leave the social democratic organizations, making their way first to the independent social democrats, then, after the autumn of 1920, to the Communist Party. Great demonstrations culminated in the Hamburg Rising of October 1923. The 25 Points of the Nazi Programme in 1920, the National Socialist German Labour Party first began to develop importance. In February of that year, Hitler himself, at a meeting in Munich, put forward the program of the party, the so-called 25 points. These are a hash of theses and demands, which in parts are self-contradictory. The political practice of the Nazi party has at no time followed the principles laid down in the 25 points, nor did it matter to Hitler and his vassals that at the end of the program the following passage occurs. The leaders of the party undertake, if necessary at the risk of their own lives, to work unceasingly for the carrying through of the points enumerated above. 
this was not the only promise which the nazi leaders gave and failed to keep in a general meeting of the party in may nineteen twenty six a resolution was once again adopted stressing the unalterable character of the party's programme gottfried feda the joint author of the twenty-five points and theoretician of the party in his commentary on the programme laid stress on the fact that there must be no tampering with the basis and fundamental conceptions of this programme there must be no twisting and turning on any opportunistic grounds there must be no hide-and-seek with the present state economic and social order of things and there must be no weakening of our principles those who in the jewish question in our fight against high finance against the dawes pact and the policy of impoverishing germany or in any other questions on our programme cannot see eye to eye with the irrevocable aims and methods which we have laid down those who believe that the freedom of the german nation can be bought through the league of nations or locarno by compromise and cowardice such people need have nothing to do with us let them remain outside of our party but all these magnificent words cannot hide the fact that the national socialist leaders have repeatedly repudiated and betrayed their own half-hearted and compromising programme their treachery to their programme begins with the first two points point one the union of all germans on the basis of the right of self-determination of peoples to form a greater germany point two the equal right of the german nation with all other nations and the cancellation of the peace treaties of versailles and st germain neither of these two points in his programme prevented hitler both before and after his seizure of power from concluding compromises with the signatories of the versailles treaty and sending envoys to negotiate with the league of nations france poland england and italy nor did either of these points make him hesitate to betray the south tyrol to mussolini in the first edition of fader's commentary on the programme the following passage occurs we shall not give up a single german in south germany in alsace lorraine in the south tyrol in poland in austria the colony of the league of nations and the succession states of what was formerly austria in the second and all later editions the words in the south tyrol were omitted it may be noted in passing that in his foreword to the fifth edition feder remarks the only alterations which have been made are in the case of a few stylistic expressions and passages which might have led to misunderstanding it is the same with other points of the programme particularly the demands of an economic and social character such as the abolition of income derived without labour and effort abolition of the dominion of interest point eleven the complete confiscation of all war profits point twelve the taking over by the state of all concerns which have already been trustified point thirteen participation in the profits of large concerns point fourteen a considerable extension of provision for old age point fifteen the creation and maintenance of a healthy middle class the immediate municipalization of the large stores and the leasing of them at low prices to small tradespeople close control of all small tradespeople in their sales to the reich to the constituent states of the reich or to the local authorities point sixteen land reform suited to our national needs 
the establishment of legislation to provide for expropriation of land without compensation where required for public purposes abolition of the land tax and measures to prevent speculation in land point seventeen it is not necessary to examine each of these points in the programme in detail some of them will be dealt with in later chapters as for example the points relating to the jewish question points four through eight and twenty three at this stage we are concerned only with indicating the general basis of the national socialist programme and with showing how the leaders of the national socialist party have unscrupulously betrayed their own programme the demands themselves are in part reactionary lower middle-class demands as for example the creation and maintenance of a healthy middle class here too we have half-heartedness and contradiction such as is characteristic of the programme throughout for how is the middle class to be maintained if the capitalist economic system which necessarily destroys the middle class and brings them into the ranks of the working class is also to be maintained this is also true of the point dealing with agrarian policy how can hitler save the peasantry if he maintains private property intact if he repudiates any expropriation of the big landlords in favour of the landless peasant in april nineteen twenty eight hitler expressly stated that the national socialist party was determined to protect the private ownership of the means of production with all the strength it could command in an explanation of the phrase expropriation without compensation in point seventeen of his program he stated that this only referred to legislation authorizing the expropriation where necessary of land which was not being properly used from the standpoint of the welfare of the people and that this passage was in the first place directed against jewish land speculation companies on the other hand the national socialist program also contained demands which had previously been the stock and trade of liberal parties and also demands embodied in the weimar constitution point thirteen the taking over of the trusts by the state is stolen straight out of the program of the german democratic party of nineteen nineteen other points are unfulfilled promises made in the weimar constitution examples of this are point fifteen extension of provision for old age point twenty full opportunities for ability compare with the constitution and the welfare act of nineteen twenty four point twenty one improvement of the health of the people and protection for mother and child and point twenty four public service before private interest compare paragraph one fifty six of the constitution the growth of the nazi movement hitler appeared in the first great meetings organized by the nationalist socialist party to put forward this program at that period the agitation against the versailles treaty was put in the forefront of the nazi agitation the more the middle class was affected by the continuous inflation the more popular the nazi demonstrations became it cannot however be disputed that in the middle class it was not only the material losses they suffered through reparations inflation and the occupation of the ruhr which affected their outlook but also the blow to national sentiment which was inflicted by the dictated peace of versailles and the entry of french troops into german territory in february nineteen twenty one soon after the reparations negotiations 
a great national socialist demonstration was held in munich with the slogan germany's future or extinction for the first time motors carrying swastika flags passed through the streets of munich advertising the demonstration posters were put up everywhere with the demagogic text if sixty million germans young and old declare their united determination we will not pay then the will of these millions will at least secure the respect which is not given to those who kiss the lash which whips them we are men not dogs the sixty million germans must tell the government clearly that whoever negotiates will be overthrown this demonstration was a great success for hitler the national parties and associations which had been using old pre-war methods of propaganda ridiculed the young man when he came to them proposing the organization of giant demonstrations against the government's policy of fulfillment and still more when on their refusal he himself undertook the task with his own tiny party but the program of the nationalist parties which was that of the junkers and big capitalists was not suitable for the middle classes who however were carried away by the twenty-five points and hitler's unscrupulous agitation the failure of the cop putsch had shown the weakness of the junkers the putsch was based on the support of the big landlords and parts of the reichswehr and the higher grades of the civil service besides a few military groups but it was completely out of touch with the discontent in the middle class it was therefore beaten by the working class within twenty-four hours the stahlhelm too could never win more than a very limited influence chiefly among peasant and urban youth and the most backward sections of the workers members of the yellow unions and agricultural labourers but the national socialists were different they put forward their imaginary fight against international jewish banking and speculative capital in their slogan of the national union in which all sections of the population would live at peace with each other under a strong state and with this program they were able to penetrate widely different groups including large numbers of the middle class in nineteen twenty one the membership of the national socialist party grew from three thousand to six thousand but its sphere of influence at that time was almost exclusively limited to bavaria in north germany the movements under grefe wulle henning and count reventlow were very much stronger in nineteen twenty the first congress of the national socialist party was held in salzburg this congress was attended by members of the austrian national socialist party which dated from before the war it had been formed in nineteen o four as a german labour party and in may nineteen eighteen this joined with other groups to form the national socialist party of austria national socialism dates therefore from the early years of the century it developed first in bohemia where the national question played a particularly important role hitler an austrian by birth had taken a great deal from their program but he was unable to reach an agreement at salzburg with jung the leader of the bohemian party the next congress was held at reichenhall in nineteen twenty one 
this congress was held jointly with russian and ukrainian white guard associations hetman skoropadsky was among the speakers in conjunction with the national socialist alfred rosenberg whose family came from the baltic provinces and who later became editor of the Völkischer beobachter and nazi expert in foreign politics the white guard emigrants developed their plans of intervention against the soviet state which had just driven out the last of the troops of intervention already at that period rosenberg had developed connections with dededing and the german industrial employer rechtberg both of them violently hostile to the soviet union it is interesting to note that in the Völkischer beobachter rosenberg writes his first anti-bolshevik articles which were pro-polish in a manifesto issued in connection with the congress of the party in munich in january nineteen twenty two hitler who had still to win his position as sole dictator of the nazi party stated that it was necessary to purge the movement as it had become a breeding-ground for well-meaning fools who were all the more dangerous because of their good intentions this was evidently directed against the other founders of the party including anton drexler and Körner, who were not prepared to follow hitler in his new and unscrupulous methods high and influential officers in the reichswehr at munich had for a considerable time given support to the movement among them were some of hitler's former colleagues of nineteen nineteen and nineteen twenty with their help he set up alongside of the party organization proper and the press and propaganda department a third organization which in the following years and later on served as his main fighting weapon the storm troops in the summer of nineteen twenty the national socialist party under the pretext of protecting their meetings against attacks by the reds had set up what they called a corps for maintaining order but this was too small and weak for hitler who in august nineteen twenty one set up his own protective organization the storm troops these formed the terrorist section of the national socialist party and were brought directly under the political leadership of the party who financed hitler not long after this period a number of capitalists particularly in south germany began to take an interest in hitler and the national socialist party with a view to drawing them in to support their own reactionary politics they realized the value of the national socialist movement as a weapon against the militant sections of the working class and they were therefore prepared to support the nazis particularly with finance in the hitler ludendorff trial of nineteen twenty four it was proved that hitler had received considerable sums of money for his party from aust the director of the bavarian employers association beckstein the piano manufacturer maffei an industrial employer in munich and hornschuh of kulmbach and grandl of augsburg two manufacturers hitler also gave lectures on his aims in the select clubs of bankers landlords and big employers of labor in return he received contributions in support of the national socialist press and for similar purposes 
Hitler also received subsidies from Borsig, a large industrial employer of Berlin, who was chairman of the Union of German Employers' Associations. An agent of Hitler's in Switzerland, Dr. Gausser, is also said to have secured for Hitler finance from Henry Ford, and also from French capitalist groups who were speculating on the Bavarian separatist movement. It is probable that the full sources of Hitler's finance will only become known when the archives come into the hands of the German workers. But political proof of the source of his finance is already clear. The whole policy of the National Socialist Party and the declarations of sympathy for it made by important capitalist groups such as Thyssen and Schacht are proof of the great interest necessarily taken in the Hitler movement by the ruling class. Hitler's debts and the immense expenditure on propaganda and for the maintenance of the storm troops were factors which played a certain role in bringing him into action in 1923. The Putsch of November 9, 1923. The Munich Putsch of November 9, 1923, was the highest point and also the end of the first upward movement of the National Socialist Party. All through 1923, Hitler had been urging his allies in the Bavarian government and the Reichswehr to take action. Early in November, he mobilized the fighting associations, and in a great demonstration of patriotic associations in Munich, announced the formation of the National Republic. He announced the deposition of Ebert, appointed himself Chancellor, Kahr, his vice-consul for Bavaria, Pürna, the chief of the Munich police prime minister, and Ludendorff, minister of the Reichswehr. The Bavarian ministers were arrested but released by Ludendorff a few hours later on parole. At first Kahr supported Hitler's proposals, but in the evening went with General von Losso and General Seisser to the barracks of the 19th Infantry Regiment, from which they declared in a broadcast that they repudiated the Hitler putsch. Carr stated that his consent had been obtained from him by the threat of force. He also announced the compulsory liquidation of the National Socialist German Labour Party, as well as the fighting associations Oberland and Reichsflagge. This report and the order for the dissolution of these organizations was published in the Munich papers on November 9th. Hitler and Ludendorff made a despairing effort to take power, although Hitler had given his word of honor a few months earlier to the Bavarian Minister of the Interior that he would not make any attempt at a putsch. They marched with their fighting organizations through the streets. The Reichswehr maintained an attitude of neutrality. It would not fire on the marching troops. Bavarian police awaited Hitler's approach in one of the public buildings. The police fired one volley. Fifteen of the Hitlerites fell dead. Hitler himself fled and was arrested in the villa of a princess before he was able to cross the Austrian frontier. Göring fled to Italy and later to Sweden. Ludendorff was not arrested. The trial of the Putschists of November 9th took place in the spring of 1924. The judges were merciful and sympathetic, for the accused were nationally-minded people who had acted with the best intentions. The accused were Hitler, 
field marshal von ludendorff frick a police official who was to become minister of the interior in nineteen thirty three captain Röhm, lieutenant pernet ludendorff's stepson and a few others nazi historians record that the accused were in cheerful mood and were smiling and cracking jokes hitler was sentenced to five years detention in a fortress subject to being released on parole when he had served a portion of the sentence a few months later in december nineteen twenty four he was released from the landsberg fortress Röhm, frick and bruckner got away with only three months detention ludendorff was released without punishment on the ground that he had been carried away in the excitement of the moment hitler then still an austrian citizen was not expelled but was allowed to continue to reside in germany the nazis disappear from the scene the failure of the nineteen twenty three putsch formed the close of the insurrectionary period of the hitler movement the time of plans for armed uprisings against the jewish government in berlin had now passed the german economic situation had reached a certain stability and the position of the middle class was improving hence for some years the national socialist party virtually disappeared from the scene the united peoples and national socialist parties which in the reichstag elections of may nineteen twenty four had obtained one million nine hundred thousand votes and thirty-two seats in december of that year secured only eight hundred and forty thousand votes and fourteen seats they sank down among the splinter parties while the german nationals secured over one hundred and the social democrats one hundred and twenty seats the following years were marked by internal struggles within the nationalist and national socialist parties in the summer of nineteen twenty five the german people's freedom party split and a large section of its former supporters went over to hitler in the meanwhile the employers continued to take back from the workers the concessions they had won in nineteen eighteen in january nineteen twenty five a government was formed of the reactionary parties under the leadership of the german nationalists three months later field marshal von hindenburg was elected by the combined forces of the right to succeed ebert as president of the reich the national socialists who in the first ballot had supported the hopeless candidature of ludendorff in the second ballot voted for hindenburg this was the beginning of the transformation of the national socialist movement the nazis support the princes in nineteen twenty six in connection with the referendum for the expropriation of the princes the national socialists joined the chorus of all the reactionary parties from the german nationalists to the centre and the democrats in shouting the expropriation of the princes is robbery of well-earned wealth moreover the nazis have never changed their line in connection with this question the leader of the nazi fraction in the reichstag declared in connection with a communist motion for the expropriation of the princes and the discontinuance of payments to the kaiser and the nobility a sense of justice makes us reject the communist motion for the expropriation of the princes german socialism must also recognize the rights of the hohenzollerns 
the german princes and former nobility have rewarded the nazis for this attitude by putting millions of their compensation money at the disposal of the nazis we refer particularly to prince august wilhelm son of the ex-kaiser duke karl eduard of saxe coburn gotha prince wilhelm von hessen whom goering appointed president of hesse nassau in nineteen thirty three prince christian of schaumburg lippe and recently the former crown prince has joined the motor corps of the nazis the national socialists have not been in a position to deny that the ex-kaiser wilhelm ii has also helped in the financing of the storm troops hitler then tried the policy of drawing closer to the reactionary parties in order to win back the confidence of the capitalists which he had lost through the munich putsch he attempted to win legal positions because he realized that this was the only way to win the favor and support of the ruling class once again he began lecturing in the employers clubs in order to persuade the big capitalists that his ideas were not at all dangerous and to explain to them how much better they could work with the national socialists than with the unpatriotic social democrats but now the leader did not restrict his activities to south germany he went to the western areas to find the industrial barons in their citadels in nineteen twenty six he spoke twice to specially invited audiences in essen and Königswinter, and again in nineteen twenty seven at the krupp hall in essen the organ of heavy industry the rheinisch westfalische zeitung records the applause with which hitler's remarks were greeted End of chapter one part one